This is the OTP, presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. You can plan on Farm Bureau Health Plans for better coverage, better rates, and better customer service. They've been providing Tennesseans with the home field advantage for almost 75 years. I'm Mike Keith, joined by Titans radio legend Larry Stone, president and CEO of Stonecom, here in the Upper Cumberlands. Did I say that properly? You said that properly. All right. Radio stations in the Cookville, Tennessee area, to be exact. And Larry Stone, the innovator of Titans Radio back in the late 1990s and stayed with us for nearly 20 years before embarking on his own thing, radio ownership. But as we visit on this holiday weekend, we want to talk about something very special that was a, a big part that we've heard a lot about from fans over the last few months, and it sort of moved me to say, let's do an official Titans podcast about Titans Caravan. And when you were involved with the Titans, Titans Caravan was one of your very favorite things. I would actually argue, Mike, that it was my favorite thing. The thing that kept me going, and and I'm sure we'll talk about during the course of the podcast, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work, and it was draining. But the thing that always kept me going was seeing the reaction on kids' faces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as it evolved and we started doing school programs and here would come T-Rack running into the school and the kids, their eyes would light up. And then those kids got to meet an NFL player. And that never happened to me as a kid. But to see a big, tall, strong NFL player walk into your gymnasium, that was kind of what kept you going. Especially when it was one of the big guys. Yep. When in doubt, pick a lineman. Because even if you're making a public stop or a school stop or anything in between, when you walk in with one of those big individuals, it certainly grabbed everybody's attention. And so many of those guys, especially the offensive linemen, you know, O-linemen don't want to be in the spotlight. But I think they enjoyed getting that moment because they played their whole football career not being the guy that threw the touchdown pass or not being the guy that recorded the sack or whatever it was. But they were the star for that one hour at that elementary school somewhere across the Mid-South. You were involved in the first Titans caravan in 1998 when it was the Oilers caravan. And that was not exactly a dramatic success? No, and I mean, it was... It was kind of put together at the last minute and we went uh, on three airport shuttles in different directions and I think I ended up in Knoxville if I remember correctly and so it wasn't a big deal but the crazy thing about the caravan is even as it gained in its success there were people around the NFL that would hear these stories and and see it in NFL paraphernalia and that sort of thing and they were kind of like what 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 is this? What are you guys doing? I mean, you would know better than I, but I mean, I think caravans have had a long tradition in baseball, mm-hmm. but there was really nobody in the NFL that had done anything of that nature. The Braves and the Reds have done it successfully in this part of the country and still do it in certain ways. It's not exactly how they once did it. But I remember as we embarked in 1999 on the second Titans caravan, To really kick it off, we took Jeff Fisher out, (laughs) and we're in an RV, and we take Jeff Fisher all the way to Tri-Cities and back, and made, I think, 11 total stops. Yeah, I think you got to be more specific. Okay, go ahead. Because this is an NFL head Head coach. coach. Now, insert the name of anyone who is an NFL head coach right now, and say to him, sir... We'd like you to take two days with us, and we're going to start in Lebanon, and then we're going to make a stop in Crossville. We're going to stop in Knoxville. We're going to stop at a car dealer in Morristown. Then we're going to go to Tri-Cities. We're going to spend the night in Tri-Cities. We're going to get up and do another stop in Tri-Cities the next morning. You're going to do television. Then we're going to drive back to Newport, Tennessee, and then we're going to stop in Sevierville. We're going to stop in Knoxville. We're going to stop in Harriman. And we're going to stop in Cookville, and then we'll go home. And, Coach, you're all signed up. You ready? Have at it. Have at it. Mm-hmm. But he did it. Gladly. And he did it well. He did it well. The Harriman stop was the one 
that probably jumps out the most to me. It was a miserably, think, late March, cold, drizzly, just on the verge of kind of spitting snow and sleet. And we're driving into town. Is that 127, I think, that goes into Harriman? And there's all these people walking. And we're like, what is this? And we get to the town square, the town park, and it's packed. packed. And it's, what, 6 o'clock at night, 5.30, 6 o'clock at night? Right. They were there to meet Jeff Fisher, and they were there to see him. I don't think we did autographs or anything. I think we just kind of stopped and did a kind of a public event and then left. Yeah, he did a proclamation. They gave him the key to the city, and it's raining. They had taken so much time and put so much into it, and they were very excited he was there. But the proclamation was like... 20,000 words. Well, he turned his head to me at one point during that, and I'll never forget. And he said, gosh, I didn't even remember that. <laughs> They're like, whereas Jeff Fisher returned to Pont in high school against... They've done it all. And everything was right, and, and it was beautifully done, but it was very long, and it was raining. And I'll never forget him when we got through the last stop. He was like, can we have an adult beverage now? <laughs> and he in fact, bought, we stopped in Cookville. We stopped in Cookville and bought beer for the staff to drive back because everybody was over 21. But it was hard. And, you know, we would do five or six stops in a day on the RV. And I think one of the better things that ever happened to the caravan was the insurance regulation stepping in and the team saying you could no longer take players out on an RV. And then we had to start going on a bus. And luckily, we were based in Nashville where we could find a tour bus right. or, or two. Right. There are several companies in Nashville that do the tour buses for the country artists. And so I remember the first meeting we had and off I-24, he said, okay, so do you want Reba's bus or do you want Garth's bus? And it's like, we're good. We're good. Whatever you want. Whatever you want us to mm-hmm. have, we'll, we'll take care of. You deserve a lot of credit for the caravan because I think even inside the Titans organization, there wasn't the belief that you saw that the Titans needed something that was hands-on. We coined the term hand-to-hand combat of reaching out and saying to fans, hey, thank you for supporting us. Hope that you'll listen to a game. Hope you'll watch a game. Hope you can come to a game. Right. Hope you'll just cheer us on. And I don't think a lot of people believed when it started that there would be the payback on that. Well, we've started to see it. I mean, Ramon Foster told the story earlier this year about meeting Javon Curse when he was a middle schooler on the caravan. Ramon Foster on our flagship station, 104.5 The Zone, played at Tennessee, played 11 years for the Steelers, but met Javon Curse in Ripley, Tennessee, on the caravan 21 years ago and talked about what a defining moment that was in his life to help to continue to motivate him to stay in school and do his work and keep playing hard. If Javon Kirst can do it, you can do it. And a teacher had done this for him, took him out of a PE class to take he and a few other players over to meet Javon in this way. And it, it got to the point, too, where we, we started to have problems as the team had success. People were taking kids out of school to go to the public stops. And so we didn't think that was a very good look. So we came up with the idea, let's have a school program. And then you designed, with Pete Nelson, T-Rack at the time, the Making Good Choices program. And that was a real joy. And and Pete was, he's a typical artist in that he was hard at some points to corral. But I always thought that he brought his nature, his personality was such that it really fit in with the message that we were trying to get because it was often hard to get Pete to make the right choices when he was in that outfit, (laughs) you know? And so you're saying, Pete, you can't, you can't do this. We're trying to teach the kids that these are the right choices. And whether it was, you know, exercise or, you know, studying for tests or, 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 you know, we were just at the start, which is hard to believe, but we were really at the start of the modern video game craze. Mm -hmm. And so put the video games down and go out and, and exercise and those sorts of things. And so we worked with a lot of teachers in Nashville to come up with messaging of what were the things that they needed help on? What were the things that kids needed to hear? What would be the things that they would take from a session like this? And then T-Rack was able to do it with comedy and hijinks and that sort of thing. And then you came in with a player and we came right back to those same things of 
you know, I, the one that sticks in my mind the most is, you know, how big is the notebook that you carry to school? And the kids were always amazed that, you know, it's this thick because it's all the plays that I got to learn. And, and I sit in a classroom just like right. you do and take tests. My test is every Sunday afternoon. And and so trying to resonate that message with, you know, second to fifth graders was where we tried to kind of, in most cases, get the school program to fit. And, and, and that was a joy. That was, to me, the turning point of the caravan because at first it was just autograph sessions. Right. And the autograph sessions could get so crazy, particularly after we went to the Super Bowl and after some of the success. We had situations where we would end up being hours off schedule because we couldn't leave in large part because the players didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave people standing in line. And, you know, when we had Javon Curse and Steve McNair together in Knoxville at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, that was easily the craziest wrapped all the way around the floors multiple floors out right. the door and all that and i think the other thing about that mike was that i always felt like you didn't want it to become hey here's an autograph move on move along you know you wanted people to have a moment you know to say hello to joe nedney say hello to drew bennett to say hello to kevin carter and feel like they knew them because, again, it's not an everyday occasion that you have that opportunity. We didn't want it to be an autograph show like where you go pay right. 50 bucks to get Pete Rose autograph right. or something like that. And people never had to pay. Never had to pay. We always had the team poster of some sort, generally a schedule poster. And so if you wanted to get that signed, you could get that signed. Or if you wanted to bring your own item, in many cases, we had to say, hey, you can only get one thing. And I guess we didn't feel too badly about that because it was free and because we were trying to give as many people as possible a chance in a limited window. People would bring, you know, things that they had crocheted or, mm -hmm. or I remember birdhouses were a very popular thing that we saw an awful lot of and things that meant something to them that they wanted to have autographed. And that was one of the cool parts of the whole thing. When the caravan was really in its heyday, we would do five to six stops a day. And eventually we just said five is all we can do. <laughs> and we would do a school program at 9.30ish, another school program probably late morning. But the key to that was lunch. Lunch, yes. The one thing no school would ever let us interrupt was their lunch schedule. That's right. Because they could not get off schedule for lunch. So we do a, an early morning, a late morning, and then sometime in the afternoon. And then after 3 o'clock, we would start the autograph sessions. And so we would do a 4 o'clock and a 6.30 or a 7, according to where we were trying to get. We had sponsor obligations. We had radio stations that we had to go see. We generally tried to end days in bigger markets because we wanted to give the media a chance at the same time. So there were a lot of things that factored into it. The planning was awful. It was awful, but it, in some sick and twisted way, I know it was fun. It was fun. I will admit, I'll take the title of being the king of seeing how much we could fit in. And, and the reasoning for it was, you're not going to get these players out that often. That's true. And so... Let's fit in as much as we can. And so I think the average year, it was 19 or 20 iterations of the schedule. It's kind of like, you know, when you read Peter King's How They Get to the, right. the Game Schedule. But we'd go through all these iterations of trying. And, we, and, and I think you and I were kind of the leaders of the band in saying, let's get to new places. Right. Let's go to places that we haven't been before. And so... I know in West Tennessee, there was only one county that we never made it to, which was, do you know the answer to that? I want to say it was probably Lake County. Lake County. We tried to get in a school there, and I'll never forget it. We thought we had it done, and it was a big disappointment to me. It's still a big disappointment to me. You know, it's a smaller county, so it was going to be a school. That was the way it was going to work, and we could never work it out. And there was another thing that came in as we moved later and later into the many years of the caravan, that became an issue, and that was state testing. That the time when the caravan happened, and it it fluctuated in the 99 year, we actually started in March. Yeah, it went mid-March. The, the caravan at one point spanned over, not every day, but spanned over two months. Coach Fisher would allow players 
to be out of the off-season program for a day to go on the caravan, and he would still credit them with being there. Now think about that. The rules are different now because Coach Fisher had a 16-week program. Now they only have a nine-week program. That's a major change. But he would say, I think it's valuable enough for you to go on the caravan. It's an excused absence, and it's counted as one of your four of the five days during the week so you don't lose perfect attendance towards your you know, performance bonus or anything else. I don't think there was a star titan that did not go on the caravan. There wasn't. Which was one of the things we heard about the baseball caravans is that right. you're getting the, the bullpen catcher, right, and the, or the you know the guy that's going to end up in Double A in Topeka, right, you know. But we were bringing stars. The first guy who didn't go on the caravan, who was a, a big pick, was actually Pac-Man Jones. Otherwise, everybody went. As a matter of fact, Chris Johnson eventually ended up going on Titans Caravan. And so he was the one that we were kind of waiting on, you know, to kind of get through and and make sure we got him on there because, you know, Steve McNair went multiple times. Eddie George went. Javon Curse went multiple times. Eddie George went on the 1998 Caravan. We actually did a Boys and Girls Club in Bowling Green that Mm -hmm. Eddie went to. And so, again, we did... All kinds of different things. Yeah, I blew it with Eddie George in 99. So I grew up in Franklin, and I watched the weather on TV. And so I would see the weather map, and I knew that Kentucky was very near the Tennessee line because I'd never actually been up to Kentucky. I'd had no reason to go that far north. But I assumed that Bowling Green and Clarksville were very close together. (laughs) They're not. They're in the same time zone. They're in the same time zone. So I booked a caravan stop in Clarksville to go to Bowling Green and gave us like 30 minutes to get there. And so we're on the RV. It's going to be a lot longer than 30 minutes anyway. There is a traffic jam. And the guy who's driving us that day is on his phone talking to somebody about the NASCAR race. (laughs) And so Eddie's not happy. It's not good. It's a huge faux pas. And we get there, and it ends up being great. The thing that saved us about that day was Fort Campbell. Yeah. Because I was talking to Bob Hyde, who was the vice president of community relations, the other instigator of the caravan year after year, and he's got his own great caravan stories as well. And I said, Bob, I said, I think we should go to Fort Campbell. I said, you know, that's where the 101st Airborne is. I think that would be good for the team. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. And So we go to Fort Campbell, and when we get there, they put us at the PX. If you live on post, that's where you go to shop. And it was fantastic. It was as good an experience as I had ever had to that point with anything like that because the soldiers and the families were so appreciative. Most of them are from other parts of the country, and and they would come up to Eddie and say, hey, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, but good to see you. Or, hey, the Green Bay Packers really gave it to you last year. I'm a Packers fan, but hey, thanks for being here. And then suddenly, that became a regular thing. And this is one of the most beautiful stories of the caravan. Fort Campbell became a regular thing, and now the relationship between the Titans and Fort Campbell is so strong. Sure. We sat at a breakfast with General Petraeus and got to hear him have a conversation one year with Jeff Fisher. And, I mean, it was fascinating to hear two men of this intellect talk. Remember the day we got to go to the briefing? We got to go to the briefing. That was phenomenal. People have gotten to find helicopters and fire weapons and ride in tanks and do all kinds of things. Just the overall appreciation. You took the entire offensive line to the PX. What a day that was. I mean, that was so fantastic because these soldiers aren't afraid to mix it up with them. Sure. They'll give it to them good, and the players love that, and they're like, hey, come around here and take a picture. And, I mean, we'd be there two or three hours. And Eddie getting that response in 99 saved my butt. (laughs) But it also gave us something quite special that became a hallmark of the caravan. Every year, the caravan was going to have a Fort Campbell stop no matter what. I think we have to stop and say something about something you said at the beginning of that. And there's someone listening to this podcast that's wondering, how in the hell did you not know how far it was from Clarksville to Bowling Green? Why didn't you look it up? Remember, for the first 10 years of the caravan, there was no 
Google Maps no. and the apps. And in no. fact, there are many stories of us going north to South Fulton. Or right. We relied on people when we would call and set up stops. Okay, we're coming from Knoxville. We'll be coming down I-75. Give us direction. Can you get us into town? And I'll never forget that the the lady took us to her child's school. <laughs> It right. was not where we were supposed to do the stop. No. Did we go ahead and do it? At the, no, we we got there and then they're like, "This is you're at the wrong school. We're supposed to be at what you know." Well, remember too. School. Here's another great one along those lines. We're supposed to visit WKDZ in Katy's, Kentucky, and they were a new station on the network. And we put down the address, and it was their transmitter site. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. It's in the middle of a farm, and we're sitting here going. Oh, no, they've taken us to where the transmitter is, not where the radio station is. I had one every year in terms of trying to lay it out that I absolutely blew it. We were always involved in the operations of the thing. And so you had the fact that you, I mean, you had the fact you had old aggressive Larry over here who's like, let's see, can we get 12 stops in one day? One of the parts of the logistics that I'd love to hear you talk about, and you wouldn't think again that this is a hard part. But the food. The food. Because players have to eat. And players who don't eat are very grumpy. And again, we're not in Knoxville, Chattanooga at every stop. We're also not in health conscious 2021 where people eat vegan or gluten free. I mean, at this point, the boys just eat. You know, for one thing, we had to keep Pete Nelson t-rack hydrated and fed because he would lose so much weight in that suit every day and then we'd be starving and so planning the food was a thing and then we had sponsors you know who would help us out and then we would go to certain places and we tried very deliberately to get food if we're in hohenwald right we would try to order food there to try to help the community right we had some great partners. Oh, Charlie's helped us a lot. Logan's Roadhouse helped us a lot. Rafferty's helped us a lot. You know, there were some some people who were just Wendy's. Kroger. Kroger. Kept us I fed, mean, yeah. yeah, they they did a great job. But we would try to eat at some local establishments. And my favorite was we were at a place in West Tennessee, and I asked the radio station folks, I said, Where should I order lunch? And they said, Order from this market. They said, This is the place where all the folks who work for a living go to get their lunch. And anybody knows places like that have the best food. Absolutely. I mean, it's not even close. And so they said, order hamburgers, order, you know, different sandwiches, whatever. They have fried pies. I mean, stuff that, again, today the players would never touch it. The other thing that they had too is they had fried bologna sandwiches. And I'm not talking about in-the-store, pre-packaged bologna. I'm talking about bologna like you had growing up. They cut it thick, and they'd, they'd fried it real good, and they'd put mustard and pickles on it. And I'll never forget, I ordered extra fried bologna sandwiches so the players could try it. They had never had it before, and they thought it was the grossest thing they had ever heard until they ate it on white bread. And then ate it like there was ate no it like tomorrow. there was no tomorrow. We didn't even have to have dinner. But yeah, the food was kind of my job and I always tried to have way too much food. And then we would give the food away that was left over at the end of the day to people working at the hotel or somebody outside who looked like they needed a meal. We tried hard never to waste anything. And then people would bring food mm-hmm. on for us too. Here's a pie. Yeah. I made you made yeah. you a cake. You're talking about another logistics thing. Okay, go. Okay, so as as the person who started the school program and got to host that with T Rack, great fun. One of the high points of my career, in all honesty. You know, he would come up at the start of the program, <laughs> come onto the stage, come running on, and and plop his big old paw on my shoulder. Well, by day seven, the stench of the raccoon is very high. Rough. And so you remember one of the big operational challenges that we always had is we had to go most nights and get the suit washed. Mm-hmm. Because, again, we're talking about, in a lot of cases, April, May, it hot was, It was nappy. Because that thing's like 40 degrees hotter. It's like 120 degrees. Yeah. I've always given him the credit. I mean, he didn't mail it in. Oh, he worked. He worked. And, you know, a lot of schools that did not have air conditioning it's emblazoned in my memory the smell of walking into a gym kids that aren't wearing deodorant and that sort of thing and you just <laughs> you just walk in you're like here we are there, okay here we're we are. in the gym we're in the gym see if you remember this one the challenge of police escorts 
Oh, I love police escorts. We would get into situations from time to time, as Mike described earlier, where we were way behind. Way behind. And so the radio stations oftentimes would say, hey, let us get you a police escort into town. Okay. We were used to the police escorts that the team gets when the, when the team was on the road. And it's basically, get the heck out of the way. We're coming through. Well, a lot of times the police that would escort the caravan thought that we were in the business of getting attention. Yes. So they would drive 12 miles an hour. <laughs> we're like, we're 30 minutes behind. And you, we would get there. And so the radio station or the... the partner whatever would want to do something with the players like look people have been waiting we believed so much in getting the players to the people as quickly as we could because we put ourselves in the position of the mom and the dad standing there with timmy you know waiting on kevin carter to arrive or waiting on samari roll to arrive or kyle vandenbosch i want to back up for just a second i want to hit two school programs Okay. How many of those do you figure you hosted? 150. I was going to say more than that, probably. Yeah. But a, a lot. But I'll never forget, you would always ask the audience a question, <laughs> right? Is this the West Tennessee school story? This is the West Tennessee school story. So <laughs> what was the question you would always throw out? Kids, what, 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 do we, what do we tell T-Rex? What do we tell T-Rex? Okay, so we're at a school in West Tennessee. And Larry throws out his traditional line, when T-Rack has been bad, what do we do with T-Rack? I'm standing 30 yards behind you, waiting to go on for my part. When you throw out the question, what happens? One of the things that we learned very quickly was that this program worked best with second to fifth graders, right? Right. We could go sixth graders, but beyond that, they thought T-Rack was... A loser. A loser door, mm -hmm. right? And so we were pretty strict with school personnel. Look, we want these kids to get something out of this. This is not just an NFL player showing up, right? So this school said, well, we just hate to not have our 8th through 12th graders Ooh. at this school. Ooh. And you're thinking, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. We get to the school. <laughs> so, you know, Principal Smith, are you going to have the eight through twelve? Yeah, we 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 just can't let them have out. You know, they'd be heartbroken. Okay, we walk in the gym. The kindergarten, second, third, fourth, and fifth graders are at the far end of the gym. This is a huge high school gym. Yes, they're at the back corner on the bleachers, sitting in front of me are eighth graders. Mm -hmm. You can probably project where this is going. It's so, not good. So Larry asked the question. And a young lady on the right side in, in row four, I'll never forget where she was sitting, she said, just tell T-Rack to go blank himself. <laughs> and not in a whisper, yes. but in a high school gym yes. with a strong eighth grade voice. Yes, and she didn't say blank, by the way. No. For the OT people. She did not say blank. She said a four-letter curse word. That rhymes with luck. This <laughs> that rhymes with Andrew Luck. I couldn't hear it where I was, but Larry turned around and had the strangest look on his face. He's kind of laughing. He's kind of grimacing. But it's obvious he is gathering himself to sort of pull it back together to go on with the program. Because if you were around this... Because there were other members of our staff who heard it, too. Sure. Well, and Pete's standing next to me. T-Rex. is absolutely guffawing. He is falling apart. Yes. Laughing at this. Well, the other people that heard it, I don't know if you remember this part of the story, is the principal, the principal. and the teachers of the middle and high school students. Yeah. And here they come. Yeah. In the middle of the program. Yeah. And jerk this young lady up yes. and take her out of the gym. Yes. So I had to fill in for you at one point with T-Rack. And Pete was always famous during a certain part of the program. He would go out and grab a teacher for, for part of the program to yes. be a prop. Or in certain instances in the early days, he would grab a kid. And this is what kind of ended the kid thing. So I'm filling in for you doing the school program, and we get to the part of the program where he goes out and he grabs a kid, and we're at an elementary school, but for some reason, he grabs a kid who's obviously not in elementary school. 
I'm thinking this kid is in middle school or high school. And he brings him on stage, and he would do his part of the program where he would swing his head forward and back as if the person was nodding yes, but emphatically. Well, when he did this with this kid who's not a second through fifth grader, the kid's cigarette and lighter falls out of his pocket. <laughs> so we're doing the old Titans Caravan program. Smoking, not and a this, good decision. And this kid, yeah, we're talking about making good decisions. And, and uh, old Mike is having to sit here and think about Wilfred Smokes here. And so he, of course, the kid is scrambling. Oh, sure. Because I'm guessing he's 15. Right. He ain't supposed to have cigarettes, period. But he's surely not supposed to have cigarettes and a lighter at school. But what are we going to do? I'm not going to pick him up. Right. Pete doesn't know what he's done. He's being T-Rack and he's thinking this is funny. But fortunately, he's in front of the kid, so the kid is able to bend down. I put my foot on the pack of smokes <laughs> so it wouldn't fly across the stage. And so he was able to grab both and escape. I didn't think it was fair for him to get in trouble. But this was the thing that I think you and Pete should be so proud of. is The feedback we got was that the program was something that they could go back and build on with their students afterwards. The Titans told you about making good choices, about getting exercise, about doing your homework, about how even football players have to be smart and how they have to study. It was simple. It was something that we could repeat. But the underlying part of the message, even with the humor, and even with our funny stories, was still fantastic. We were joking earlier today that now there are kids that watch that program that have their own kids that are getting ready to go to school, which is, which is so amazing. Most heroic effort from a player. Probably Jason Fisk. Let's tell everybody who Jason Fisk is. Jason Fisk joined the team in 99. Defensive lineman. Yes. And agreed to go on the caravan. And this was one of those years that Mike mentioned earlier where we did like six weeks. Didn't do it every day, (laughs) but we did it over six weeks. We were on the RV. And one of the things that we learned about the RV, that yes, these are huge and big and powerful football Mm -hmm. players and smart and athletic. Yes. But they many times suffered from motion sickness. I did. Well, Jason Fisk did as well. And there was some kind of food involved Fried pies. Was that what it was? Bob Hyde bought fried pies in Mississippi. And I have never seen a player turn so many shades of green Yes, as he did as we were driving into Mississippi. And we drove from Mississippi into Memphis, and he went out and did the stops. And, I mean, he was ill. I mean, sick, sick, sick to his stomach. Who would be your most heroic? Probably Javon Curse. So we have Javon Kurz at the end of the caravan stop in Knoxville at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, this massive stop. We go out to dinner at a beautiful restaurant down on the Tennessee River. Jeff Diamond, our president at that point, was there, and he took us all out to dinner. We sit down, and we start to have a meal. And about that time, here comes T. Martin, Tennessee's quarterback, a 98 national champion. And he and Javon are friends. And so he takes Javon, and he says, we're going. He and Javon had a long night. <laughs> I assume they had a wonderful time because the next day we get up to continue caravanning with young Javon Curse and come to find out that he had gone to bed 30 minutes before we woke him up to leave again. It's that aggressive schedule. <laughs> well, it was an aggressive scheduling on his part. Yes. So we would do a caravan stop and then Javon would go in the back to the one bedroom and he would sleep, and we would go do another stop, and he would go back and sleep. And so this was how the whole day went. And yet he was pleasant. He was charming. He was good with the media. He was the freak. He was Javon. But, I mean, he had to be completely and totally exhausted. How many times did we walk back to that bedroom or even in the beds that the bus had over the years, and you'd find a player stretched with his legs over top of T-Rex's head and oh, like <laughs> laying on the suit and all of that. They just wanted to sleep. As long as we had food, they would come back, they would grab whatever food we had, and then they would go to the back and just crash after they ate. Sometimes they would come up and watch TV with us. Play cards. Play cards. Played a game called 99 where Kevin Dyson took all our money. Every bit. Don Roy 
was a key to the caravan. Absolutely. Because if Steve McNair left and went out with us, if he started in the morning and finished in the afternoon, say he finished in Chattanooga, then Don Roy would drive out the next player and Steve McNair would get in the car and Don Roy would drive him back. And so player two would stay with us. And then at the end of the day, player two would trade out with player three. And so Don was unbelievable at getting the players back and forth. And, I mean, dealing with Nashville traffic, dealing with accidents, dealing with, hey, Don, can you go by the Titans facility? We're out of bumper stickers or we're out of team posters or we're out of Gatorade or, you know, whatever it was. I mean, again, those are the the logistics of it that uh, I always enjoyed, but you're, you're always on edge of do we have – everything do we have it all have we taken care of every single thing and you were always wondering was that phone going to ring and somebody say this is not going to happen or this player can't make it we had that happen one time i'm trying to think who the player was but we we were getting ready to leave nashville you remember this was that who it was samari roll he had not flown back from florida the night before he had decided to stay in Florida for another day. So we're there Monday morning ready to leave on the caravan, and he's not in town. And so we walked back through St. Thomas Sports Park, and there was Randall Godfrey, just signed. He says, hey, what are you guys doing? And we'd gotten to know him just a little bit, and good guy. And so, well, we're going out on Titans Caravan. He goes, hey, you know, if you ever need me to go out sometime, I'd love to do that. <laughs> and we said, how about, how about to now? <laughs> and so Randall Godfrey said, well, let me finish my workout. This would never happen now, you know, because it's just, it's, there's so much other stuff going on and the players, their schedules are so much more regimented, but he went, he chose to go. I had written down Randall Godfrey in preparation for today because one of the things that happened and it it didn't happen every time because players just like everybody else they're different Mm -hmm. and some of them are more comfortable and some of them are more outspoken but randall godfrey and i don't remember where we were but we were in a library talking to some young people and randall just grabbed a couple of young guys pulled them aside and just basically told them look i'm going to be watching you you better do right. And it was with no prompting. And I never I never understood kind of what made him see in those young men that yeah. he needed to say something. But there were several examples over the years of players that would kind of do that. And much as you were describing with what happened with Javon out in, in Ripley on that particular day. But Randall, what he did that day was, was amazing. Well, Randall Godfrey was all caravan. He was on the all caravan team in my mind. Javon Kersh absolutely on the all-caravan team. Somebody that we didn't have a chance to caravan with, but he's on the all-caravan team, is Rashawn Evans, who in the last Titans caravan that they did, tried to go on every stop. He decided, after he went the first day, he decided he had so much fun and enjoyed meeting people so much, he kept going that unfortunately he had a death in the family and had to miss a day. That, to me, is all-caravan. Kyle Vandenbosch was all careful. Absolutely. I'll never forget we took him, and there's a great picture of he and someone else in the gazebo in Martin, Tennessee, and he's signing autographs. In the picture, it says Titans Pro Bowler, Kyle Vandenbosch, and unnamed Titans staffer. The unnamed Titans staffer was Kenneth Adams. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because remember, that's right. KSA4, Kenneth Adams, who's now one of the owners of the team used to go out on the caravan with us. He thought it was a neat way to meet people, to see people, to experience the state, and to listen to what people thought. But not just to go out on it. He was the guy that you know would go get the food or pick up t-rex props or do whatever had to be done and that was that's a part of the story too because it was a very small staff i think it's fair to say that again there were a lot of people that didn't believe in it and so those of us who did we just kind of picked it all up and and pulled it all together and did it well if you're gonna do 65 or 70 stops over 12 to 14 days like what it was in its heyday you're crazy I mean, I've, I've never been so exhausted as I would be at the end of a week of the caravan or even certain days. Many times we were in the middle of the draft. 
we're in the middle of the draft or draft preparation yeah. or whatever. But I mean, you're just exhausted because you're up early. You're worried about things. You're constantly on. And, you know, you've got things happening at home. You've got things happening back in the office at work. You get a call. It's like, hey, we need you to to be involved with this. So, I mean, from that standpoint, it was hard. What kept you going were the Randall Godfrey moments, were the Javon Curse moments, were the Kyle Vandenbosch moments. Jake Locker was another one who was super good on Caravan. We can't not tell the Steve McNair story. Camden? It's the Camden, but it really started, if you remember, in Jackson. Mm -hmm. And we went to a hospital. That was something that we did on occasion. Obviously, some of the most gut-riching stops that we ever did were to St. Jude. St. Jude. And it always took a very special player to do that because that was emotionally just taxing. But we went to the hospital in Jackson. And if you remember, when we walked in the door, the reaction was... Uh, who are you? Who are you? Who yeah. are you again? And it kind of brought all of those feelings that we had been dealing with of, is this going to work? Because this is April 1, 1999. This is just named the Titans, just seen the logo. I don't think the uniforms were even out yet. I think they came out a couple weeks later. Javon Curse had not been selected yet. This is April 1, 99. So... We're there, and it's kind of like, oh, well, these there's some people, Titans, Titanics, there's somebody here in the lobby that they'd like to say hello or whatever. And so you kind of walk back to the RV and kind of like, okay. And so then you pick up the story. We get off Interstate 40 yeah. on Highway 641. Yes. 25 miles. Yeah, okay. roughly. So we're getting off. It takes it 126. And we, we head into Camden, and we get picked up by police. I think when we entered Benton County. Yeah, we entered Benton County, and this was a real live police escort. And the day had been good. We put on a new station in Jackson. The hospital had ended up being nice because Steve McNair's superpower was to be able to turn into something extra special in a moment when he sensed that somebody needed it. And what I mean by that is when he saw a sick kid or he saw a parent that was hurting or he saw somebody who seemed to be in a lesser moment where they needed someone, that's where he turned it on. He was a small town guy who didn't like a fuss, but in the moments where it was about real people experiencing real things, he had an extra sense. And this is where we came to love him so much is because he had a massive heart for that. So we get into Camden, and it's been an okay day. And all of the sudden, all of Camden, all of Benton County is at the McDonald's. You remember we're, we're riding along on 641, and there's cars parked, parked on, on the, the road. side of the road. And we're like, why? Why is this? They must be having a parade because we didn't think it was for us. It was the first time we had ever seen that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of anticipation. And Camden is a favorite place of both of ours. Absolutely. Because Ron Lane with the radio stations in Camden. Flash Melton. Flash Melton and, and everybody who worked with them there, they were so good to us. They were one of the first radio stations that signed on. We used to go eat with Ron at the Country and Western in Camden and I mean we we had been there so many times already it seemed but have been there so many times since but that stop was so massive hundreds of people two hours longer than we anticipated being there and Steve actually enjoyed it because those people were his people those people were from where he was from in Mississippi they spoke his language and when he was done he went in the back and spoke to all the people fixing the food because they were so busy they couldn't come out and get an autograph. He went to them. Not with any asking, by nope. the way. Nope. He just got up and did it because that was who he was. He was not the superstar in his mind when he was with his people, and his people were folks, just like from his hometown. It was extra special. That was the night I knew we had something. That was the night I realized the Titans are going to be a big deal. That gave me more hope than I had had at any point in almost a year on the job. I'll never forget it. Do you have a favorite goofy story? Mishap? Oh, We got locked out of the RV in Memphis 
And at the end of the stop, T-Rack would come out and do his bit at the public stops the first 20 minutes, and then he would go back in. And we got locked out of the RV at the public stop in Memphis. And when you and I and the rest of the staff, Dwight Spradlin, Jared Puffer, Jimmy Stanton, all of the good people who worked with Bob Hyde in community relations during that time, when we walked back, T-Rack was still in the raccoon costume on the roof of the RV. I'd forgotten that Yes. Never forget that we had to take Jesse Mahalona's door off its hinges in Knoxville because they couldn't wake him up. The other one, too, that was not so goofy is we had two of our linebackers get in a fight. They went out after our stop in Knoxville, ironically. Maybe it was always Knoxville. Knoxville was probably. Yeah, and they got in a fight, and the barkeep was a Titans fan and got him out of there before the police came. And they actually kept that from me for a year. Your favorite? One you deserve a lot of the credit for. We were at Fort Campbell. It was the first year of T-Rack. And everybody has probably known a person like this in your life. But Pete was one of those guys that you could talk him into doing something. Oh, no. The peanut story? Go ahead. We drive up to the, to the PX. <laughs> we're sitting outside waiting for the setup to finish. And Mike says, hey, Pete... Look at that peanut out there. And we look out the window, and there is someone dressed as a peanut. That was the station mascot. Okay, and so Mike's like, you know what would be funny, Pete, is if you got in costume and went running out of the RV and tackled that peanut. Oh, gosh. I did do that, didn't I? You did. And, nah, man, I better not do that. (laughs) (laughs) And Mike said, no, come on. It'd be funny. It's It's part of who your character is. And Pete was big into... The character. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. So he's this mischievous raccoon. And so, come on, Pete. That'd be funny. That'd be hilarious. Oh, man, I better not. And so finally, Mike convinced him. So Pete puts on the costume, slams open the door of the RV, and runs out. And Pete very often would not run out with much speed and get ready with much speed. But Mike had got him in such a, a fever, he ran out of the RV, he crossed in front of the RV, ran across the street, jumped headlong on this peanut. Tackled the peanut. And tackled the peanut. Yes. The person in the peanut costume. Turns out the person in the peanut was a teenage girl. (laughs) Gosh. Who apparently, Pete tells later, please get off me. (laughs) I love that story. The second one, which is on me, is the Alabama story with Joe Nedney. Yes, we took Joe Nedney to Alabama. So you know how long ago this was because Joe Nedney was with the team, I think, oh one, two, three, four. Our favorite kinds of stops were where the lines were steady. And this was before we did school programs. This was like 9 o'clock in the morning. It was early. But it was steady, and people were coming up and getting a chance to talk to Joe and and shake his hand and all of that. And he'd been a big free agent acquisition at that time for the Titans. So I was kind of at the first spot, and then Mike was at number two, and here's Joe is at number three. And a gentleman walks up, and I made the comment, Hey, good morning, sir. How you doing? Which at that point is kind of a mistake because the gentleman perceives... You want to know, but you don't want to know. Well, you sort of want to know. Normally you say, how you doing? Someone says, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm doing well. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. I mean, it's a greeting. Right. In this case, this gentleman took it quite literally. He was not having a good day. No. He was in some pain and he proceeded to describe that he was having a pain in his left elbow. He said, I'm... I'm really hurting. And about that time, he unscrews his prosthetic arm to show Larry the elbow. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is what happened. And it was not... Wasn't wasn't great. It wasn't clean. It wasn't great. The moment he unscrewed, I was looking up to say, well, here, have a poster. Have a poster. Meet Mike Keith. Yeah, meet Joe Nedney. But instead, he literally takes off his prosthetic arm and shows Larry why he's in pain and larry goes under the table let me tell you if you didn't have a chance to go on titan's caravan you missed out on so much there was it was heartwarming it was funny it was crazy it was overdoing it it was exhausting but it was miraculous because we met so many people who came into the titans universe and became Titans fans 
And I thought it at the time, but I certainly think about it now as we go back on it. I mean, hundreds of stops, literally hundreds of thousands of people we encountered. Think about the autographs and the posters. So worth it. Well, I hope you are proud because I know that I am. I truly believe that the caravan played a significant role in planting the seeds for the Titans and the NFL overall in this state because it was important to let fans see that there was a face. There were faces to this. It was important to let fans know, hey, I've been a Steelers fan all my life or I've been a Dolphins fan or a Redskins fan. Okay, fine. Just on those other 15 weeks, pull for us. It had an impact. We reached a lot of young people. And at the time, and you were the one that said it, you know, it's those experiences that we have as children that really lead to who we are as adults in terms of sports. It's it's those experiences that you have that turn you in to a fan of whatever team. And the fact that we tried to give so many kids that experience, yeah, we wanted to do it because we thought it was important. We thought we, we'd, we'd want it. But we also had the belief that this will grow in 2020 and in 2030. It will grow those people into Titans fans. It planted seeds. I think that's well said. And I think about the comment that was made where another all-caravan team member, Kevin Carter, visited one time, and a guy's standing there just looking at him. He says, Kevin Carter's in my hometown. And at that moment, you know, he he's a fan for life right then. And that's what we wanted the caravan to be. And Bob Hyde is a huge reason for that. Bob Hyde was such a key factor in all of it. And we've mentioned the folks from media relations, particularly Dwight Spradlin and Jared Puffer, who were integral parts. Kyle Sonneman was an integral part. Jimmy Stanton. Brad Willis. Brad Willis was was an integral part. And so many people that supported it internally who didn't think – we were crazy. Very appreciative of that. Absolutely. And so appreciative of the fans. And even in my role now, away from you and the rest of the team, it's not several months that go by that I don't have someone here in Cookville that comes up and says, hey, I remember when you were at Logan's Roadhouse, mm-hmm. or I remember when you were at the, the Cookville Mall, or when you were Kroger. at uh, the school down the street. And, you know, that, that means a lot. It means a lot that uh, that there was that impact. Larry Stone, thank you so much for going down memory lane. A lot of fun. Thanks, Mike. Farm Bureau Health Plans, they sponsor this fine podcast. Let the experts at Farm Bureau Health Plans coach you through it. When you need great health care coverage at a price you can afford, they've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. For Larry Stone, I'm Mike Keith, thanking you for joining us for the OTP. Titan blood running through our veins.